Well, Kellyanne, I, I, I think it would be safe to say that um, when we look at the title performance dietitian, that it would be easy to say, well, you're going to tell an athlete to eat more carrots. Um, I think it has evolved. It's far more scientific than that. I think it's far more proactive than that. So tell me a little bit about what you do day to day. Hmm, okay, on a day-to-day could sure. be uh, meetings with coaches are usually our front line to see uh, what the nutrition concerns might be with some of their individual athletes. Right. So we usually often start with planning, um, where they at. Uh, nutrition is really periodized though, Rob, so we, we work heavily in the summer because they're winter sports, so okay. that's when they're in Calgary doing a lot of their... Um, preparation for the season, they're home, they're getting back in the gym, working on specifics. So we'll have individual athlete meetings as um, identified through the coach. I'll meet with a physiologist who might say, hey, so-and-so seems to be having endurance issues in a workout or um, not putting on the muscle that we like mm-hmm. or immune issues or, oh, we see something in the lab with testing. So there's it's just ongoing collaboration um, with coach, with physiologists, and then frontline meeting with the athletes and and, uh, assessing their own from their perspective what's happening and how can we help them. So two questions that come out of that. I'll I'll, I'll roll back first to the (laughs) the period component of it. For an athlete, in terms of a nutritional plan, how many periods could there be in a year? If there's an off-season training, competition, post-competition, how, how many well, could we see? Well, those are the, the big chunks, Okay, but we break it down when they come into training, which for winter sports, so I, I'm working with primarily the winter sport, a few summer athletes, but we would start in May with general conditioning mm-hmm. and building that aerobic base, even if they're an alpine skier. And then we'll get them into the gym, usually um, a few weeks later, slowly building back. Because often when they're competing in the winter, they're not doing the muscle building. They're maintaining what they built over the summer. Mm -hmm. So our summer starts with a rebuild. So the nutrition would be geared towards what are they doing for their endurance, building that base. And then we would work on what are they doing in the gym for recovery to maximize the training response that they're looking for. And then, then they start to have training camps. Well, they'll go away and try to find snow and ice somewhere. So sure. what do we do to support that? So and the other question that comes out of your first answer is, you know, as someone in the media, the first time I was really maybe exposed to nutrition for an athlete, it might have been something as simple as, well, follow the Canada Food Guide. <laughs> My guess, and it's just that, is that every athlete is different, every program is different, everything is is primarily tailored to that individual. So are there any standards that you Well, there's the fundamentals, Rob. So we would focus on what is the athlete doing pre-workout? What are they doing on the hydration status? And right. we'll often calculate sweat rates, for example, and, okay. and but then individualize it to say, well, this athlete, to rehydrate, you need to, to drink this amount. And for another athlete, it would be, it would be prescriptive mm-hmm. uh, on different amounts. So we do, there's general messages around hydration, but then it's taken down to the level of individualizing how much uh, to consume during and then recovery. So what do you do? We'll just, I hope this is the right way to explain it. An athlete arrives for the first time in this institute. So what do you do to find out about them? Okay. We always start with what's called a nutritional intake. 
Okay. So then we would assess um, everything from um, therapeutic nutrition concerns. Do they have allergies? Do mm. they have uh, reflux or irritable bowel syndrome? So we would look at the clinical side of things. And then, of course, at their lifestyle. Who are they living with? Who are they cooking with? Mm -hmm. What are their cooking skills like? And then we would get into the performance. So we really start with the fundamentals, understanding the athlete as an individual. Uh, from a health perspective, what concerns do we have? And then um, looking at their performance and, and the lifestyle. Are they, are they working? Are they going to school? Mm. Are they doing both? <laughs> right? On, yeah. on t- so there varies. Sure. Some athletes train twice a day. They all train twice a day at least. Some have the luxury to go home and nap, and some have to run to jobs in between. Right. So we look at the holistically the whole picture. And then we break it down, okay, you're going to be working in these different phases of, of your whole year program, and this is when I would focus on different elements of that. Do you notice a trend? Have you seen a change in athletes that when you first get them now as opposed to earlier? I'm wondering if the nutrition is better for an athlete that finally arrives at this stage than maybe it was a decade or two decades ago. Oh, for sure. And I also work with varsity athletes. Okay. And there's a distinct difference. Oh, I would imagine. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, with the, could, could you explain that difference, though? What, what, what would the distinct difference be with the varsity athlete? I would say athlete? the varsity athlete has less of a nutrition focus, less of they're, they're, they don't have, they're not as conscientious Correct. about okay. the connection with nutrition and performance. Okay. The elite athlete is, and they're well-versed and... Uh, and for some of them, they're almost too clean with their nutrition, we, and we need them to relax a little bit. Explain that. How <laughs> could you be too clean? I've never been accused of that. Um, how could you be too well, clean? for an athlete who doesn't eat anything from a can and doesn't use the salt shaker, we might find, hey, you're actually low in iodine because you're not eating any processed foods. Right. So these things come up. How much of the trends that we see in society, um, which just got me thinking, they may not eat out of a can. Maybe they're vegan or, you know, whatever we see, you know, that uh, that I would live with or, or would see in society. How much of that impacts your role or job? Um, in sport, nutrition and athletes and performance are definitely influenced okay. by social media, by the Internet, by... Um, yeah, so we're, we're definitely it's a challenge that we're up against, especially on the supplementation. I wanted to ask you about that. Um, so tell me about your role in that. And, and, I mean, there's so many offshoots of that, I would imagine. But tell me about suppl- supplements and the role that they play in nutrition. I mean, an athlete is always looking for what's that little secret, that edge that's going to make the difference for me when I'm mm-hmm. 1% off of uh, meddling at the world championships. Right. So maybe it's the supplement. And and so the, there can be a tendency, but it, the athletes are very aware that it's risky business. And we know that supplements aren't pure. There may be ingredients in the supplement that is not posted on the product label. So the athletes are realize they're at risk for taking supplements that haven't been what we call tested or screened. So since now, gosh, it's about 12 years, we actually batch test key supplements that we think there's evidence, science-based evidence to support performance gains from using these supplements. And the athletes would go to a particular store and purchase those particular supplements that we've set aside for them. So when you say 
you would batch test them. That would be done through CSI? Through a lab. We send them to okay. a lab yeah, that yeah. has... Yeah, so the CSI supports has been supporting this for 12 years. And so it's exclusive to the athletes tra- that train here. What a, a great op- um, option to have, right? I mean, a further barrier or further... P- uh, Trust, I guess, would be the best word that they could yeah. have in that. And and it's another layer. And um, in the 12 years that we've done this, we've never had an athlete test positive from those supplements that they've taken. But there's still other supplements out there. And so yeah. The, yeah. the athletes just realize it's risky business. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I say we've set this up, we're meeting with the physiologists mm-hmm. and physicians and, and planned um, based on science, which are the best supplements that have some merit. But fundamentally... Back to nutrition basics. Yeah. We don't use Canada's Food Guide. Yeah. We, you know, we, we are performance-based. If an athlete, though, is not eating groups of foods, let's say vegetables, it doesn't matter what they're taking for a supplement if they don't have that foundation. Right. That, and I'm, that, thank you for pointing that out because it is a, it's building, like anything else in athletics, it's base, right? You it's build the off the base. Absolutely. Right. That's, there's a nutritional base, and that starts with, we l- really look at foods to reduce inflammation. Right. Because when they train, it re- causes an inflammatory response, which we need if the athlete's going to get fitter and stronger. Okay. Um, where do you find pushback? Where do, when you're dealing with athletes, where's the, the friction points or the choke points with the job that you do helping them? Hmm. I find they're very motivated. I don't really, okay. you know, I the, I would say the, the number one. No, I, there really isn't. Hmm. So yeah, consi- well, considering the, I mean, maybe a better question for the varsity athletes that you okay. deal with, right? <laughs> in in yeah. that regard. Yeah. With the varsity athletes, some of the challenges might be budget mm. and um, physical limitation if they're in residence and they're relying on purchasing foods. So then we've set up Fuel for Gold. Our restaurant at the university was first set up for our Canadian Sport Institute athletes Mm -hmm. in Calgary. Um, So the athletes would um, go to our chef that had set up a meal program, and we eventually turned it into a business. And now the varsity athletes have access to that. Anyone on campus can go to Fuel for Gold at McEwen Hall. And, uh, and purchase high-performance food. It's a cost, though, and so that could be a limitation for be. athletes. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. The, I would say their motivation is there to eat well, yeah. but a limitation might be more on the cost or maybe the time to prepare meals or it, for a varsity in residence, what do they have for equipment? Maybe a silly question, but you brought it up earlier. I want to go back to it, Kellyanne. What about if I'm just not a very good cook? How, how the, the simple skills of cooking, is that an impediment for some athletes? Is that something that you have to work on? Well, luckily, we have our teaching kitchen. Oh. And so we actually run food sessions and okay. cooking sessions. I'll be doing a couple next week. One's going to be an Iron Chef type challenge with speed skaters. <laughs> and so that'll be fun. And I just try to build in some educational teaching bits as they're cooking mm-hmm. on food safety, uh, food security. Um, menu planning and so on, quick meals and nutritious tips. And then, um, yeah, we'll have uh, different cooking sessions, whether it's on quick meals, snack ideas. It might be specific to breakfast when we have athletes that train super early in the morning. What can they throw together and that kind of thing? I want to ask you about uh, something that I, I would 
seems natural, but maybe some people don't associate it with nutrition, but that's hydration and the role of liquids and, and how, how much of that t- is your time spent or teaching and, and, and dealing with in that regard? Especially the hydration is key, especially when they're in the training camp situation. Yeah. And uh, if there's altitude involved, um, that's a factor. But we would um, be meeting with the athletes to look at if do they present with signs of dehydration. Mm-hmm. And when they're in training camps, often we'll do morning spot checks on the urine, uh, to urinary specific gravity to see the density as an indication of the, are they starting the day hydrated. For example, we have a sledge hockey camp that begins on uh, Friday, Saturday. Right. And, uh, yeah, we'll get those players on board right away with uh, checking their morning hydration status so that they become proficient in recognizing signs and symptoms. But, again, in the same way that, you know, eating correctly, is, is that much of an issue for the athletes that you see that, that, that they come in and they don't hydrate correctly um, or properly? I've, when I've, I've been to some of the speed skating camps, and uh, there was a group of close to 30 athletes and when i did the morning assessments i think there were two maybe three okay. that woke hydrated but when i calculated their um, hydration during the workout they were great but what it appeared is after the workout they forgot to keep drinking hmm. so that was uh, a really great learning opportunity okay so let's talk about learning opportunities how what's the the uptake like for an athlete like this when you present that that geez you know 17 of you were not hydrated do they do they get it is it a bit of a process is it a you know it's almost is it you know kind of building a skill in a way or or, you know going through that whole idea of kind of changing right exactly and then just what are some strategies like how what's the best way to hydrate effectively and little things that we know around sodium and sip versus chug and these kinds of (laughs) sip versus chug okay this i have not heard before well, we retain more if, if you have sips of water throughout the day versus, oh my gosh, I forgot to drink. I'm going into a workout. I'll drink this liter of water. Kellyanne told me yeah. I should drink and you become a human sieve. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's ineffective. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Um, how, I'm skipping ahead, but because I got, how, mu- how much of your time is spent just researching and staying abreast of new information, new trends. Uh, How much science is going on on a daily basis in your area? Not enough. You just try to keep up as best you can. Okay. And some of the science is is, uh, poor. Um, Often in the research that we look at, they don't use athletes as subjects, or mainly it's males versus females or not. So there are some limitations when you're looking at the literature. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do some in-house more monitoring on the science, which we don't publish. We don't want the world to know all the things that we're doing here. Proprietary. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, wow. but we need to uh, keep up. And, and there's a network now of sport dietitians across the country with, through the other Canadian sport institutes. Right. And we have ongoing emails and professional development that's really taken off in the last three years. I know I'm skipping around a little bit, Kelly, Ann, but I, let me ask you about the support networks uh, for athletes and how they play a role in this. You were talking earlier about you know who they live with or who they're cooking with, coaches, the buy-in. How how important are they you know in proper nutrition for an athlete at this level? Who is that? The the support networks, coaches, the people oh, they live with. Yeah, you, yeah. You know what Just I'm, in general. Just in general, yeah. You know, it depends on the mindset. Most of the coaches that I've worked with have been very receptive. Mm-hmm. And when we're ongoing, on an ongoing basis, we're trying to continue to educate the coaches about red flags, what to look for. 
And hey, maybe this symptom that you're seeing is a sign of poor recovery or uh, emotional eating or... So again, the coaches really are our front line because they're with the athletes every day. Strength and conditioning would be the same. Mm -hmm. They train with those athletes every day. And that's another, you ask, what do I do in a day? And it's uh, often, I just go to workouts and hang out with the coaches and the athletes. And I stand at the side of the Olympic Oval. That's when the athlete's going to come up to you and, hey, Kellyanne, I heard about curcumin. Like, what's what's all that about? And so it's, it's a lot of those informal drop-in um, opportunities um, when the athlete will come forward to you. But um, overall, you know, back to your question on, on sort of the buy-in. Yeah. Well, from the, the support network, Yeah, right? and the support. The coaches have been great. Sometimes in a household, we'll get a group of athletes where the dynamic might not be that great. <laughs> <laughs> That's universal. Um, what about things like travel? Uh, you're here. Do mm-hmm. you travel? Do you travel with athletes? Do you have to prepare athletes for international competition where they're away from, you know, a kitchen per se? You know, I would say one of them when I was doing debriefing after the last Olympics, and one of the main nutrition concerns with the athletes was related to travel and competitions and the immune system. Hmm. So often we do all this prep with the athlete. But because of jet lag or some poor sleep, next thing you know, they're sick right at the key time of a competition, yeah. like the Olympics. Yeah. So that's that's a huge area that we're constantly trying to be better at, planning our travel, planning our, maybe we need to budget an extra night of stayover. Yes, it's a cost to the sport, but if the immune system will be stronger that's that's a huge benefit to us. So travel, I don't travel with the teams, but I try to set them up as best I can with travel packages, with foods they should bring, mm-hmm. some of the supplements. And, and also, uh, we're very conscientious about managing jet lag through use of um, key strategies. So tell me about the, the role of sleep and sleep management in, in your world. So with the athletes, we're you know using lights and and adjusting their eating schedule and their sleeping schedule before they leave because often the athletes are going to either Asia or to Europe to compete. Right. So there's a big time zone differences. Yeah, I, it, it, there's so much that that goes into this. What what excites you? What what gets you going in the morning when you come to work? I like the variety. Um, so for example, today I've got uh, <laughs> you know I met with an athlete this morning. I'm emailing coaches about planning workshops. I have a workshop this afternoon with athletes and then planning for one for the weekend. So that's ongoing. And what I like about it, it's very um, unique. Each topic that we're working towards is, is unique. And so that makes it exciting. It's not repetitive. It's the biggest misconception about what you do. <laughs> that we use Canada's food guide. 